0: Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to another solo deep dive episode of Reimagining Love. Today, our topic is dealing with breakup regret. So here's the scenario that I'm imagining. You were in an intimate relationship of any length. There was distress in the relationship or a rift or a chronic problem that you couldn't find your way through. So you ended the relationship. And now some amount of time has passed and you're now experiencing what I'm calling breakup regret. Breakup regret is not a scientific term. It's not even a clinical term. It's a term that I'm using in this conversation between you and I to capture that knot in your stomach that says, I think I've made a terrible mistake, that feeling of regret, the thoughts of wanting to undo what's been done. So we're going to unpack that and we're going to explore together as we do in these episodes. So in this episode, I'm going to, first of all, talk about some reasons why you might be experiencing breakup regret. And then I'll spend some time offering you some strategies for what you can do with your experience of breakup regret. There's the feeling itself that warrants your deeper exploration and understanding. And then there's the what to do about the feeling. So we're going to tackle both. And I'm going to be clear right up top. That I am sure about two things. First of all, I am sure that this episode is going to offer you some perspectives and some strategies, but I'm also sure this episode is not going to tell you what to do in terms of reach out to reconcile or stay the course and remain separate. I would not ever disrespect you in that way, asking as if I know what is best for you. I don't have your context. I don't have the details of your story. This episode may very well help you feel more clear about staying the course and staying separated and continuing on your healing journey, or it may help you be clear that you want to pivot and make an effort to rebuild with your ex, but that clarity has to come from a place inside of you, not because I advised you or guided you in one direction or the other. And furthermore, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I do not make hierarchies of love stories. Some people's love stories are highly linear journeys. People move stepwise through the stages of commitment. And some of us have love stories that are rather curvy, that have detours, sometimes even detours in the form of breaking up and starting up again. If you listened to the Toddcast, You know that Todd and I had a couple of breakups back in the day, initiated by yours truly. So I especially am in no place to judge a curvy love story. The focus of this episode is making sense of the experience of breakup regret and providing you with some strategies for how to cope with that feeling. What I'm not going to do in this episode also is talk about a framework for how you might Begin to create a version 2.0 with your ex. That topic is beyond the scope of today's episode, but spoiler alert, I'm going to talk about second chances in our next month's solo episode. So you can stay tuned for that. In the meantime, let us dive in and look at why you might be experiencing breakup regret. So I am going to lay out six possible causes of breakup regret, six etiologies, if you will. That might be underneath your breakup regret, that might be fueling your breakup regret. I'm going to name all six of them up top and then break them all down. So, reason number one, grief. Reason number two, dating is difficult. Reason number three, the safety novelty dialectic. Reason number four, idealization of your ex. Reason number five, a reactive breakup. Reason number six, difficulty trusting yourself. As I go through each of these with you, know that I am not making any value judgments. We're not talking about good, bad, right, wrong. I am describing a set of phenomena. I'm putting language to what may be your experience so that you can make better sense of it. And from that place of groundedness, my hope is that it will be easier for you to choose your next wise step whether that is to continue to heal via staying apart or whether that is reaching out to initiate contact in the hopes of reuniting. And then after I talk about these six possible root causes, we'll talk about some strategies. Okay, so what might be causing your breakup regret? Number one, grief. First possible cause is grief. I'm making an assumption in this episode that the person experiencing breakup regret is the person who took the lead in the breakup, the person who initiated the breakup. And here's something that I don't think we talk nearly enough about. The person who initiates the breakup also grieves. The one who chooses to end the relationship also experiences loss. If that's you, if you were the lead in the breakup, you very likely feel sad that you are not able to have the relationship that you had envisioned with this person. You very likely miss that person and the positive experiences that you had together. And you very likely feel sad that your choice to end the relationship with them hurts them, right? Because unless you are a sociopath, you are not comfortable or happy or pleased knowing that your ex is very likely having a hard time. And what happens, I suspect, is that grief itself can bleed into breakup regret because the line between I miss them and I want them back, can get quite thin. Why? Because our emotions are bodily states, and bodily states create a kind of action potential. Bodily states can create a kind of urgency. Bodily states can call us to feel like we need to do something. The more intense your grief, the more you are primed to experience breakup regret. So your breakup regret may be a symptom of or an extension of your grief. Hypothesis number two. Okay, the second possible cause of breakup regret is the fact that dating is difficult. One of love's central ironies is that those of us who are in a committed intimate relationship, even a happy one, sometimes wish that we were single. And those of us who are single, even happily, comfortably single by choice, sometimes wish that we were in an intimate relationship. And it's easy to idealize the experience of the other. The single person in a group of married people knows that feeling, that kind of like complex mix of envy and fascination that oozes at times off of their partnered friends when the single person talks about their single life or their dating life. And anybody who's partnered, Has had that moment of awareness that their single friend may be experiencing a pang of jealousy over some story about their partnership or experience that they're having in their partnership. Having said that, it can be really jarring to be single again. Perhaps, especially if you had been in a relationship for a long time and it just has been a long time since you have been single, or perhaps you never have really been single. So, if you broke up with your partner, it was for a reason you are moving away from pain. That was what you were hoping to do. You were perhaps also hoping, or I hope that you were hoping, to move towards pleasure. Perhaps you were even like feeling a little excited to have a first date. Maybe you were looking forward to a first kiss or a first sexual experience post this relationship. And maybe when you had anticipated a single life, You had even like tried to be rational and tempered and perhaps had tried to remind yourself that dating isn't easy. But that might have been more of an abstract idea versus something that you were actually preparing for. And so maybe what's happening is that your dating experiences post-breakup have been even harder than you had anticipated them to be. And P.S. Dating probably has always been difficult, but modern dating? is uniquely hard. And so the more frustrated you are feeling about your dating experiences, the more enticing your ex may be beginning to look. Your ex might be feeling to you like respite from whatever aspect of single life is feeling harder for you than you thought it would be or harder for you than you had hoped it would be. So your breakup regret. Therefore, it might be a symptom that is just telling you something about what your dating life is like. You're surprised at how difficult dating is, you feel disappointed in the experiences you're having so far, and or you're feeling a bit burned out on dating. Etiology number three. The third possible cause of breakup regret is what I'm calling the safety novelty dialectic. If you are a bit newer to reimagining love let me define what a dialectic is a dialectic is a both and space a kind of psychological duality a place where we are challenged to hold on to two competing truths without foreclosing on one or the other a dialectic is a space where we say both and rather than saying either or in her Epic, seminal, incredible book, Mating in Captivity. My brilliant friend Esther Perel described the central dialectic of intimate relationships. And it goes like this: As humans, we have twin needs. We have two needs. We need safety and we need novelty. So this is the safety novelty dialectic. We want both safety and novelty. And We want it from the same person, our partner, and we want it in the context of this one relationship. So the safety novelty dialectic sounds something like this. On the one hand, I want to feel seen and known. I seek ritual and comfort. I want to feel safe and secure. And on the other hand, I want to feel excited and surprised. I seek novelty and adventure. I want to feel alive and experience mystery. So that's what we're trying to reconcile within our intimate relationships. So your breakup may have been your attempt to resolve the safety and novelty dialectic because the dialectic itself could not be held. You were not able to feel both safe and excited with the same person. And by the way, there's two ways that this dialectic may have broken down for you in your relationship. Perhaps you had too much safety or perhaps you had too much novelty. Let me talk those through. Perhaps you broke up because there was too much safety. When you were in the relationship, rather than feeling safe and comfortable, you felt flat and disconnected. You were, within that relationship, craving novelty, adventure, aliveness, and you broke up because you were unable to see a path towards enlivenment within the relationship. However, now that you are broken up, it's like the pendulum has swung too much in the other direction. Rather than your single life feeling adventurous, your single life is feeling unsafe or chaotic or discombobulating. So your breakup regret, therefore is a desire to get back with your ex, a desire to escape how unsettling this chapter of your life perhaps is feeling. The other way that the safety novelty dialectic may have broken down in your relationship is perhaps there was too much novelty. When you were in your relationship, rather than things feeling exciting and new, they felt unpredictable and therefore not safe enough you were yearning to feel calm and steady within your relationship. You broke up because you were not able to see a path towards experiencing safety within that relationship. However, now that you're broken up, it's like the pendulum has swung too much in the other direction. So rather than now feeling safe within yourself as a single person, you're feeling a bit more like lonely or isolated or not engaged with the world around you. And so your breakup regret then may reflect a desire to feel some charge again, to feel something in your system again. The fourth possible cause of breakup regret is idealization of your ex. When you are making the decision to end the relationship, the relationship felt problem-saturated for you. You were very likely all too aware of your partner's flaws. And in making the decision to end, those flaws had to be squarely in the center of your view in order to justify or align or make sense of something so big as ending the relationship. Otherwise, you would have ended up feeling too much what psychologists call cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is when there's a breakdown between your beliefs and your actions. You can't possibly break up with somebody if the belief is this is a good and healthy relationship or this is my soulmate. Your beliefs have to align with your actions. You need to believe this is not the person I want to be with or the problems we face are insurmountable or our timing isn't going to work. What's tricky is that with time and distance, your memory of your ex and of your relationship dynamics is Going to shift. And that's based purely on your brain, which I'm going to tell you about in just a moment. With time and distance, science indicates it is easier to hold on to your ex's redeeming qualities. And with time and distance, it is actually harder for you to hold on to the memories of what wasn't working or the qualities of your ex that did not work well inside of your life. This is, by the way, Not unlike what happens when we lose somebody to death. Our memory of the person that we've lost to death becomes more idealized over time, and research backs this up. I'm going to ask you, as I sometimes do, to indulge me as I talk you through three pieces of data, three pieces of research that back up this idea and kind of deepen the roots around the fact that your breakup regret might be caused by idealizing your ex. Okay, first of all, 2016 research from the journal Emotion and Motivation found a quote, pervasive motivational tendency to praise and idealize the deceased, which serves to reduce death-related distress. Okay, bear with me. So what these researchers did is they put participants into two different conditions. They had to think about somebody they were close to, and they had to write about that person. Here's the difference, though. Group one was told to imagine this person had just died and then write about the person, whereas group two was just simply told to write about the person. The descriptions given by group one, the group that had imagined the person had actually died, were significantly and across the board more positive and less negative than the descriptions given by group two. And these effects were found regardless of whether the participants were told to write about somebody they were close to or somebody they were not close to. And these researchers said that although this study was just about people imagining someone that had died, their findings are consistent with research about how people eulogize or remember those who have actually died. So the bottom line here is that we as humans idealize as an attempt To cope with loss, it's a coping mechanism. It's an attempt to cope with the profound challenges that come with grief and loss and separation from somebody who mattered to us. The second piece of research is separate but related to this, and that is the finding that our memories are notoriously unreliable. And one example about what our memories do, the kind of funky things that our memories do, is that certain experiences morph based on the quality of those experiences. And that's a phenomenon called the fading affect bias. And this is a phenomenon that's well-established in the field of psychology. The fading affect bias, affect means emotion. The fading affect bias refers to the fact that emotions associated with negative events fade faster than emotions associated with positive events. I'll say it one more time. The fading affect bias refers to the fact that emotions associated with negative experiences that we go through fade faster than emotions that are associated with a positive event. So, and it's a, it's a coping mechanism again, and it's an adaptive coping mechanism. A 2019 study that was published in the journal Psychological Reports found that The higher your level of fading affect bias, the more grit you have, meaning that the more quickly you can take a painful memory and reduce the pain around that memory, the more resilience and sort of rising up you have. Okay, so how does that tie into breakup regret? You ended this relationship because it was dissatisfying or negative or painful. It wasn't working. But your brain is primed to have those memories fade pretty quickly in order to protect you from pain and to help you rise up, to help you be resilient. However, this very same mechanism in your brain that is helping you suffer less leads to the fact that your memories of the relationship might be becoming somewhat romanticized and might be therefore driving or fueling breakup regret. It's harder to stay clear and anchored and grounded in your decision to end while your painful memories soften and fade and are replaced by a somewhat rosy glow of what the relationship was. Which, by the way, leads us to the third research based phenomenon I wanted to share with you here, which is that lots and lots of social science research has also found evidence of what is called the rosy view phenomenon and that merely is that people's recall of previous events tends to skew more positive than what they actually experience at the time so let's say you did one of the examples that these researchers gave was like a bike trip through europe at the time if i was to ask you how is this bike trip through europe going you might say ugh i got a flat tire and i'm sunburned and my friends don't ride fast enough for me. And the whole thing is, you know, a little bit, I mean, it's fine, but it's like somewhat annoying. However, if I asked you six months from now, hey, how was that bike trip through Europe? You would be more likely because of the rosy view phenomenon to say it was magical. We had delicious wine. We toured a bunch. We had wonderful conversations. So the rosy view phenomenon means that we tend to, we are prone to, we are primed to Have more positive recall for past events than what we would have said at the time we were going through them. So, there again, right? That phenomenon also perhaps potentially is what is priming you to experience some breakup regret. None of this, by the way, is to minimize your breakup regret. It is merely to contextualize it in the service of helping you be mindful, intentional, and strategic about what the heck you want to do next. So the bottom line here is that memory is fungible and you, like all of us, are at risk of romanticizing what was. in the story of your relationship and your perception of your ex, those are shifting. Those are shifting inside of you and that may be what's triggering your breakup regret. Let's move on to number five, reactive breakups. You may be experiencing breakup regret if your breakup was what I call a reactive breakup. So when I'm talking about breakups, I sometimes classify breakups in two ways, intentional breakups and reactive breakups. Intentional breakups sound like this. Can we talk? I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think it's time for us to end our relationship. An intentional breakup is planned. An intentional breakup is initiated by someone who may very well be upset because endings are really effing hard, but they aren't triggered. And I suspect that, and I have not done this research, I suspect that because an intentional breakup is mindful, it's planned, it's a decision. I suspect that an intentional breakup sets both people, the lead and the follow up for a bit more post breakup healing compared to a reactive breakup, which we'll talk about in a moment. I suspect also that intentional breakups are a bit more likely to stick. I suspect they feel more final and I suspect they are decisive precisely because they were decisions. It was a decision for you to approach me and let me know that you want to end our relationship. Let's contrast that to a reactive breakup, which sounds like this that's it. I'm so effing done. So, a reactive breakup is one that is executed in the heat of the moment, it's impulsive. It is initiated by somebody who is triggered, flooded, overwhelmed in the depths of despair, feeling like I cannot see my way through. The only thing I can do is just get out of this. I suspect that because a reactive breakup happens in the context of a conflict or a crisis, I suspect that a reactive breakup may set both parties up to struggle a bit more emotionally in the aftermath. And I suspect that reactive breakups are less likely to stick, that the intensity and the suddenness of the ending may set the lead up to feel regretful about what they did. I suspect that reactive breakups prime a couple to experience breakup regret. When somebody engages in reactive breakup language in the context of a fight, I'm out of here, if you don't, I'm gonna break up, you know, this is over. I think their words, you know, reflect a hidden motive and that's what needs to be better understood. What's beneath the surface of that kind of reactive breakup, threatening to end the relationship, wanting to end the relationship, I suspect what's beneath the surface is one of two scenarios. The first scenario is I feel incredibly misunderstood. I'm desperate for you to understand me. I feel otherwise powerless, so I'm turning the volume all the way up in the hopes that you will listen and understand. Scenario two is I feel so out of control. I'm desperate for you to do what I want you to do or to have the outcome that I want and need, so I'm dropping this bomb in the hopes that you will do what I need do what I want, do what I'm asking for. I hope you hear that distinction. It may be the case in scenario one, the person who's saying you can't hear me or you aren't hearing me, so I'm turning the volume up, especially if that person occupies one or more marginalized identities, they may be accustomed to having the world not hear their voice, Honor their voice, value their voice. So that may be part of what sets somebody up to moving into that space of like turning the volume all the way up and breaking up in the middle of a fight. In scenario two, that person may occupy one or more privileged identities such that they are accustomed to being able to kind of create reality, have reality line up behind them. They may be accustomed to having a lot of power. So if your situation is that you have gone through, if you initiated or took the lead on a reactive breakup, your really important relational self-awareness work is to begin to unearth the story that fuels that behavior for you. You might have a skill deficit around self-soothing. It might be really hard for you to ask for a timeout, to notice when you get flooded and take space. It may be that conflict of any kind is just really, really difficult for your nervous system, perhaps for very good reasons, perhaps in your family of origin, you experienced and witnessed conflict that was frightening because there are few things as frightening for a little person as an upset big person or an angry big person or conflict between big people. Uh, It may be that you were left alone with really big feelings. So you never had the chance to learn with a safe grown-up how to stay regulated in the midst of a difficult conversation. You may have a skill deficit around effective communication. So it may be that when you're upset, it's hard for you to use your words, basically, to communicate effectively. And so you end up kind of heading down these less effective, less helpful paths. What I know for sure is that reactive breakups are exhausting for people on both sides of the experience. I know that reactive breakups erode relational trust. They erode emotional safety. The person who is being broken up with, you know, in the midst of a, of a conflict or a problem, very likely feels abandoned or helpless. And you, if you're the one who initiated or initiates reactive breakups, very likely ends up feeling even more unheard, even more devalued. Because, you know, if this is a pattern or a cycle, the other person may have increasing difficulty honoring your words, knowing where you're coming from, knowing whether or not you really are going to end the relationship this time around. But if the other person is not honoring your words, then you're going to end up feeling even more unseen. So the bottom line here, is that you deserve to be in an intimate relationship where reactive breakups are not even on the table. They aren't even a possibility. Uh, I think couples who struggle with reactive breakups, that pattern reflects deep pain and old pain, and that pattern reinforces attachment insecurity. As I said a moment ago, right, it's hard to feel safe when you know that in the wake of a relationship problem, somebody might Start talking about the relationship ending. It's unrealistic to expect that you could feel safe in that kind of a context. So you know, the what to do, if this is what's landing for you, is that you are in a relationship have been in a relationship where reactive breakups were a thing. you know, there's obviously individual therapy and couple's therapy are the order of the day. The goal is to make a commitment to not breaking up while you are upset. It's a hard ask. And then to feel really proud of yourself. When you are upset and you do not threaten to break up or you do not break up, right? To really start to notice and celebrate the contrasting experience. Like I can be upset and I can stay in this relationship. I can tolerate ever more discomfort. I have a wider zone of tolerance as the trauma therapists call it. So the what to do instead is also about taking timeouts. We talked in the conflict episodes, in the earlier episodes of Reimagining Love, we talked about taking intentional timeouts, saying, I love us too much to keep talking. I love myself too much to keep talking. And then it is getting back into your body, whether it's through a walk or a bath or movement or rest, or simply just saying, I'm hurting, right? Saying I'm hurting so badly instead of I'm out of here. That's a shift. That can make a big difference. The sixth underlying cause of breakup regret might be this. I don't trust myself. Making the decision to end a relationship is a very big deal. It's heavy. And in order to stay steady in the wake of a decision like that, you need to be able to believe that you are able to make wise choices for yourself. You need to be able to access a kind of steadiness in the wake of your own grief As well as potentially in the wake of your ex questioning your decision or your ex being upset by your decision, as well as in the wake of perhaps the upset or the doubt or the confusion of your family and friends. That's a tall order, right? So therefore, your breakup regret might reflect that there is a part of you that does not fully believe that you are able to chart your course, that you are able to make wise choices. That part of you might be confusing clarity with cruelty. That part of you may struggle to trust and remember your inherent goodness. That part of you might be confusing the fact that your ex is hurting with the fact that you are hurtful. Those are two different things, right? You are not a hurtful person because your actions created hurt in somebody else. Those are not the same thing. The decision to end a relationship is not a mark on your character. It is not a reflection of your worth. It is not commentary on your goodness. Your responsibility is to initiate the breakup and handle the breakup with as much care and gentleness as possible. But that's the outer limit of what you can control. And that's really hard, right? All you can do is show up with your decision. You cannot control how other people respond to your decision, and you cannot control what happens next. So your breakup regret might reflect a difficulty trusting yourself, a difficulty being able to stay gentle with yourself, stay compassionate with yourself in the wake of the turmoil that is so often inevitable when a relationship ends. This is the part of the show where I wish I could have a check-in, like even a little thumbs up, thumbs down. How are you holding up? This is my most, my biggest challenge about having these podcast episodes be one-way conversations is that I don't get to hear how this is landing for you. Until and unless you email me or DM me, which I love. Okay, so let's figure out where to go from here, what to do. So I talked you through six different possible causes of breakup regret. And I hope that that part of it has been helpful. I hope that it offered you some insight because insight here is powerful. When somebody offers language or perspective that is right there for you, but not quite in your conscious awareness, that can feel really clarifying. Or if something is conscious for you, sometimes when you hear somebody else say it, that can feel like validation of what you're experiencing. So I hope that there's some insight you know, and what we've talked about so far that feels really good for you. But I want to take it all a step further and talk about what to do about it because insight without action can end up feeling like you're spinning your wheels. So, here again, your situation is uniquely yours. So, not all of these suggestions are going to apply to your situation or really even necessarily make sense for you. And the one thing I'm not talking about today is starting again with your ex. We're not gonna talk about how to reach out to your ex or how to do that. I'm saving that for next month's solo episodes. So therefore, these strategies that we're talking about today are all individual strategies, not relational strategies. These are strategies that are designed to help you cope a bit better with the experience of breakup regret versus strategies that are designed to solve breakup regret by undoing the breakup. But know that we will come back to it soon. The big overall what to do is to create more capacity inside of yourself to sit with this discomfort. So often we try to fix our feelings with an action. The emotional discomfort feels to us like confirmation that we've made a terrible mistake. And so then we think that undoing the so called terrible mistake will rescue us from the uncomfortable feelings. But when we try to solve emotional challenges with action, we lose the opportunity to grow and learn from our pain. We miss the possibility for initiation. We miss the chance to be led into deeper wisdom or to be led into some expanded emotional capacity inside of ourselves. We miss the chance to learn something about ourselves, about the world around us that might really end up serving us in the long run. So the big overall what to do is to just go slowly, breathe into your sense of urgency so that you can soften it, quiet it, kind of cool it off a little bit, put the phone down, put the email down, move slowly. So you might even make a practice of moving like, you know, you're on a walk or you're On your patio or in your family room, and you just are moving your body really slowly so that you're letting yourself have that contrasting experience because the experience of breakup regret is urgency. It might feel frantic. So you're creating experiences of moving slowly. Yoga might feel really good at this time stretching slowly, moving slowly, listening to slow music to kind of counteract that sense and reminding your body, reminding your nervous system, there's capacity here, there's ease here, there's pause here. I want to talk a bit about an analogy from the world of therapy. One of the things that therapists in training need to learn is whether and when and how you use self-disclosure in a session with a client. Self-disclosure is when I, the therapist, decide to share with you, the client, something from my world. And self-disclosure can have all kinds of benefits, certainly but it can have all kinds of unintended consequences on the therapeutic relationship. So therapists need to learn how to use self-disclosure sparingly, strategically, and wisely. So there's a rule of thumb that I teach to therapists in training, which is this. The stronger the urge you have to share a story about yourself with your client, the more important it is for you to just sit with it. Same thing here. If and when you make the choice to reach out to your ex, I want you to reach out from a place that is calm, not urgent, a place that is patient, not pressured, a place that is relaxed, not rushed. So your first order of business, your biggest order of business is just to slow down and to find your center. And by the way, slowing down is not just helpful for you on your journey, it's essential for your ex. If you are the lead, if you're the one who initiated the breakup, and if you know darn well that your ex would get back together with you in a New York minute, you have the added relational obligation, call it a relational ethical obligation, to be responsible, to be measured, to be tempered. I am not at all saying that's easy. You get to be sad. You probably are sad. And you have an added layer of responsibility to deal with your breakup regret on your own until and unless you are really, really, really sure that you want to reach out and that you want to explore the possibility of reconciliation. Really, really sure. There's a power dynamic right now between the two of you. And listen, if you're somebody who has a long history of not feeling particularly powerful, that power might be quite uncomfortable for you to hold. But if you got real with yourself and you know that your ex would pick up the phone right away or respond to a text right away from you and would be eager to hear from you and eager to talk about what might we be able to do here, that's even more confirmation of your responsibility to be slow and tempered and savvy, even as you feel your own layers and layers of grief. So another to-do thing you can do is to remind yourself that grief does not necessarily indicate a mistake grief is a thing unto itself. Grief is an understandable thing. Grief is in fact a manageable thing. It is a human thing. It is the inevitable consequence of sitting with love and loss. We are all going to experience grief at different points in our life. So grief stands on its own. Grief is not in and of itself a call to action. So it is just something to be worked with Healed, tended to, treated gently. We talked last week in the episode about closure, about what grief needs. You know, grief needs rest. Grief needs good food. Grief needs support. Grief needs movement. Grief needs empathy and validation. Grief does not need to be told that the thing causing it was a mistake, right? So your grief can sit right next to your decision to end the relationship without your grief indicating that you've done something wrong. Another suggestion I have for you is to take some time to journal about or meditate on this question. To what degree am I missing my ex versus struggling with the challenges of single life? Just use that prompt and see where it takes you. To what degree am I missing my ex versus struggling with the challenges of single life? That's probably not like zero... Versus 100% kind of thing. It's probably some kind of a blend, but spend some time writing. Get yourself clear on that blend, on that mix. And now that you know that memory is subject to change, so knowing that, knowing that memory is subject to change, make it a practice to notice when you find your mind drifting towards a romanticized version of your life with your ex and come back to the present moment. Come back to your life today. Savor what is present in your life today. There was a 2021 article uh, in the New York Times during the middle of the pandemic that was about our tendency to romanticize the past. And in the article, one of the pieces of advice was to consider the question, what in my life today might I be nostalgic about down the road? That's another question that you could reflect on or journal about what in my life today might I be nostalgic about down the road? The practice of coming back to this moment will ease your breakup regret. It will also then put you on more solid ground if you do end up reaching out to your ex down the road. You will then, therefore, be reaching out from a place of gratitude and fullness rather than from a place of desperation or lack. Another strategy that has to do with mindfulness is making it a practice to imagine your life without your ex. Just imagine, like imagine, I mean your your present life presumably is without your ex, but also like fast forward a bit. Let yourself create images of your life in the future, down the road, whether it's even weeks or months or certainly maybe even years. Imagine a full, rich, satisfying life without your ex in it. Just use that as another kind of mindfulness practice. And that practice might help you kind of contrast with the experience of breakup regret. Another strategy, of course, is therapy. Processing your fear that you've made a mistake in ending this relationship is a really valid reason to start therapy. And then my final suggestion is that you may seek or need to seek potential support from your family and or your friends and you might want to process your breakup regret with them. I'm obviously here for that. I just want you to be careful that they might be confused about what supporting you looks like. I want your people, your family and friends to resist the urge to tell you what to do, whether that is, "Oh my gosh, if you regret it, that's a sign, call them up before they move on. Or whether that's, are you kidding? Your ex is no good for you anyways. You're so much better off without them, right? Either of those stances is going to probably amplify the intensity of your breakup regret. It may put you in the opposite stance, right? If they're saying, it's a sign, call them, Like they might move on without you. You might feel even more like, wait a minute, I'm talking to you about how you know, conflicted I am or how ambivalent I am. And now you're pressing me to get back together. Or by contrast, if they're like, are you kidding? You're better off without them. It might lead you to try to start to build a case for why you aren't better off without them. You might feel either way, you might feel invalidated. Your family and friends' best move is just to listen, to just be present. And that's hard. That's really hard. Think about a time where you were asked to be present with somebody who's in pain. It's difficult. It's it's a skill. It's hard to resist the urge to cast a vote or to share a hot take, but that's what you need most is just witnessing. They can't tell you what to do with your life. They don't know what's best for you. And by the way, if they do tell you what to do and you do it and it doesn't go well, you're going to be at risk of blaming them rather than taking responsibility. I want you to feel Fully responsible in a dental way, of course, but fully responsible for any choices that you make from here rather than being able to kind of foist the consequences off on somebody, you know, in your life who was eager and urgent and directive with you. So, you may need to ask for the support that you need. You might even say, Listen, I'm having some pretty complicated feelings about my ex. I would love for you to be a sounding board for me so that I can try to understand what I'm feeling. Do you think that you can be a sounding board for me? That's what I call going meta, right? Talking about talking. So when you are reaching out for support from your family and friends, go meta. Ask for the kind of support that you need. And the kind of support that I want you to get is just witnessing sounding board talking it through rather than direction and advice okay that's it we did it this wraps up our dealing with breakup regret episode so in this episode i looked at the possible causes of breakup regret we talked about six of them and then i offered you some strategies for how you can cope with your breakup regret I hope certainly that you have gotten what you need from this episode and thank you for tuning in to Reimagining Love and until next time, be well. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.